Passionate DJ Podcast, where it's all about becoming a better DJ through passion and purpose. And now, your host, David Michael. Welcome, everybody, to the Passionate DJ Podcast. I'm your host, David Michael, and I'm here with a whole gang, Mo, Trip, Tony. Yo, yo. Yo! Como estas? How are you, t- <laughs> you doing, gents? I am well, sir. Good, good. I'm good. How are you? I'm great. I'm, I think today we're just going to jump right into the main topic because there's so much to cover. Okay. And what would today's topic be, Dave? Today's topic is essential tips for brand new DJs. Hmm. So this is the most common questions that we get, whether that's to the email list or blog comments or even voicemails and tweets. They all, you know, at least half of them have something to do with I'm a new DJ or I'm thinking about DJing. Um, what about X? Yeah, what about X or do How you do have I, any yeah. Yeah. Yeah, advice? Cool. So, yes, we have plenty of advice and we just decided to do a whole episode on just kind of rapid fire kind of tips on, you know, no specific necessarily you know no specific um area of like here's how to beat match or here's how to do this or that but rather just kind of some general tips for getting started as a dj now it might not necessarily be good advice no but we yeah, have we, advice yes it is it is advice though for sure <laughs> and so far it's free yes. so, <laughs> so what you pay for people so far it's free yeah. um so we kind of we have a little uh, a chat room that we all kind of uh discuss various things and before the we get together to record and so we kind of started just listing all of these different tips that we had for beginner djs and so i'm just going to kind of start going through and reading those off and then we can just talk about each one as as much as we want and and give our input i'm sure we all have a lot of different angles and insight on this kind of thing so um i'll go ahead and start out with uh don't have more than a beer or two for your first gigs so this is kind of a easy one to start out with it's some people think it's obvious but some people um it needs to be said it needs to be said yes (laughs) because it's one of those things where some people even encourage new djs have a beer or two okay and and i'm cool with that if you know what you can handle sure fine and and when i play i'll sometimes have a beer or two it's it's just enough to to, soften the edge a little bit but not to where i'm sloppy right but it's it's real easy, especially if you're kind of susceptible to anxiety and stress and that and to just keep on going or if you're just not paying attention if people are bringing you drinks, which sometimes happens in, mm-hmm. in nightclub scenarios and stuff, right. they just keep arriving and you know one or two shots and you might that might be all it takes to put you over depending and, on your tolerance right and and you don't want your first gig experience to be <laughs> uh, well, you want to be able to remember it. let's just put it that way. So really, it's just a question of not getting too sloppy up there when you don't really know what you're doing yet, right. you know, and you don't know. It, really, you shouldn't be sloppy up there anyway. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> right. I mean, you know, while the, the this is a perfectly valid point for a new DJ, especially somebody who's got butterflies in their stomach and, you know, they're up on a stage for the first time, you know, sure, a beer or two is, is good to take the edge off. But, um, you know, to your point, a shot or five you know, can make or break your first set. And, mm-hmm. But nobody should be up there completely sloshed. And uh, I mean, and I say that from experience, I have been on some turntables completely wasted. Sure. And it was not pretty. <laughs> I mean, you know, sure, some sets turned out okay and fine, or maybe even a couple of them turned out great because, you know, the less I ha- I'm inhibited, then, you know, the more I can, you know, feel free to rock out or, you know, do whatever. But like, you know, speaking, you know, over the entire length of my DJ career, um, most of my better sets were when I had control of myself and, and was not completely sloshed. Yeah. And just to kind of throw in like why, because a lot of people are probably saying what beginner DJ is going to go up there completely hammered for the first time. Somebody who's nervous. Well, somebody who's nervous. (laughs) And it's important to remember that, it's not all that uncommon for beginner DJs to get paid in drinks. Right. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> depending on when you took your payment, <laughs> might be worth thinking about. So Yeah, good um, point. It, I mean, just like you said, with one one shot too many and, and suddenly it, it might not even be that you're 
messy up there so right. much as under the stress of everything else, you, you forget something, you forget which deck is queued up or you hit play, uh, hit pause on the wrong deck or yeah. something like that. And then, then you're really rattled yep. and then trying to figure that all out when you're a little tipsy yeah. is well, going yeah, yep. it just adds to the problem. So exactly. just starting there because like <laughs> I said, a lot of people get paid that way on their early gigs. Yep. Keep that in mind when you're going up there. Um, the next thing we brought in was, uh, Talk to the promoter or owner, whoever's kind of in charge of, of this particular night. Yeah. Uh, talk to them ahead of time and make sure that you understand entirely what the expectation is. Right. Um, as far as, you know, make sure that you're playing to the right crowd and that you can deliver what they're expecting to be played. So, for example, if you're playing like a college top 40 type bar, then you probably shouldn't go in there and, and play the big, you know, two hour trance mix. Right. You know, <laughs> that's not going to work and you're not going to get that gig back. Right. Right. Um, kind of goes back to the gig preparedness, uh, episode yes. for more to, to, you know, I think we can, uh, do some callbacks to, as we read these tips off. I mean, a lot of this stuff is stuff we've already covered. So we'll, we'll be able to like, you know, do some callbacks to previous episodes and say, you know, uh, you know, while these are your, you know, your, your rapid fire tips, you know, here, yeah, here's the deep dive yeah, <laughs> into yeah, what sure. we're talking about. Yeah. yeah. And we can drop some of those in the show notes. I'm yeah. sure. Yeah. Um, one that you had mentioned, Trip, was uh, redlining. Mm. <laughs> so you put redlining equals bad, but right, maybe right. A, a fancier way to put that is learn proper gain staging, right. volume control. Absolutely. Um, and I don't know that we've ever like hit that specifically on on the show, but you know, uh, for anybody here and there, but. yeah, for anybody who's not hip to what redlining is on a mixer. Uh, on most mixers, there's some kind of a visual feedback uh, as to what your output levels are, and it's measured in green, yellow, red. Uh, as long as you're in the green, sometimes in the yellow, you're fine. As soon as you start hitting the red, that means that you are sending out a distorted signal out to whatever the main board is. So it doesn't matter how much it's compressed or limited or controlled at the main board, it's going to sound like crap. <clears throat> Theoretically. 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 Yeah. And the reason I throw <laughs> that in there is because a lot of uh, uh, hardware manufacturers, knowing that DJs like to abuse mixers True. and slam yeah. them into the red, yeah. started compensating for this and adjusting where the red happens. Yeah, that's, that's true. Um, yeah. It's like a traffic light. Green means go, yellow means caution, red means stop. stop. It is. Yeah. And, and it's be- a suggestion. <laughs> and, and because this, the problem that I have with that is that it has de-standardized. Right. You know what I mean? So somebody might say, well, I slam mine into the red all the time because that's what blah, blah, blah mixers like. Yeah. Or they'll say, you know, something like that. Right. And the problem with that is not, you know, obviously not all mixers are the same. And so if you want to be consistent just don't put it in the red. Red is not a, a light that comes on when it sounds the best, okay, <laughs> ever. Right. Yeah, red rarely so, equates to something positive. But it sometimes means the opposite. Right. So if right. you just stay out of it, Well, a lot of people also, they don't understand, because everybody always wants turned up, everybody always wants louder, but throughout the night, you have to increase the volume because if you damage everybody's ears at the beginning <laughs> of the night... <laughs> There's nowhere for them to go at the end of the night. You know, you can't get louder and you can't increase the intensity. Yeah. So if you're going full on right off the rip, it's it's just it's not good. But, and, but also when you have more bodies in there to yeah, the to absorb the sound. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, and more people chatting and whatever moving around that also contributes to the the, the noise floor. Yeah. And I've actually worked in clubs that have uh, either put metal plates or duct tape across the masters. So you can't yeah. so you can't <laughs> go well, any which, higher on the master. Which brings up another good point because there's a certain point at which you can only push the signal so hot from the DJ's source. Right. And only in, I mean in certain situations maybe the DJ is entirely in charge of the sound, but usually you're plugging into a, a house system right. and you'll have somebody in charge of that and they're the ones that determine how loud the sound is in the club exactly your job is to give a hot clean signal to that person so right. that they can make that determination and what happens is if you're at your limits and then you try to push it higher because you just want it to be louder in the club 
then you're sending a distorted signal to the house person and they're turning it down. So So, you're defeating the purpose and you're making yourself quieter and distorted. And so if you want to sound like garbage, that's a great way to do it. Right. And resist that urge to turn up whatever volume you have within your control and let your engineer manage that. Because otherwise, like Dave just said, you're fighting back and forth. Like you're turning yourself up. He's turning you down. And it's not a good pairing. And it's not like you can just have like a powwow in the middle, like, hey, I just wanted to be a little bit louder. Can you adjust this? No, it's <laughs> he's in charge of that. Yeah, and you can't right. talk about it in the moment. So give him a clean him or her a clean signal right. and let them adjust the house sound as they will. That's yep. what their job's supposed to be. Exactly. Um, the other thing is on that point, it's not just like we have a lot of different levels of gain staging nowadays so for example i use a control s8 tractor has its own attenuation and gain staging within the software then my mixer has its own hardware output you know attenuation and then you're putting this into whatever you're plugging into whether that's a house mixer or um, interface interface or or whatever whatever, and it's going to have its own and then you get it to the you know the front of house front of house so there are a lot of places for you to mess this up. Mm-hmm. So it's it's worth taking the time to learn it all once, figure out what the appropriate settings are for your gear and software and everything. Keep it all within reasonable levels so that you know that everything coming out of your system, you're doing everything right. So if something doesn't sound right, it's not your fault. Right. A good uh, a good um, a good thing for that also to avoid that. Are good monitors. Mm. So if you if if you turn the monitors up for the DJs, they won't feel like it's so quiet out there. Yep, that's a good point. You, yeah, you know what I'm saying. So um, we do that a lot um, at a lot of the big shows. I, the the monitors. That's why I have tinnitus. Real realistically, is because the monitors are dual 18s with you know three stacks on top each side. But you turn those up, and it feels like. You're right. Like, they're on the yeah, floor yeah, with everybody. Yeah, exactly. You know, and it does you turn, provide some fill if it's you know yeah. depending on what size. So those the room DJs is can and, actually feel yeah what's going on, but it necessarily doesn't have to be so loud out there. So you turn their monitors up. It sometimes it stops them from doing that yeah. because that's that's all they want because they're damaging their ears as well mm-hmm. as they go. Their ears, you know, take a little punch, and they feel like oh wait a minute, it's not that loud out there when it really is. You know, so you just turn the monitors up and get it louder for them. Yeah, yeah and I've definitely done that, like as a quote unquote a trick <laughs> to get mm-hmm. DJs from to stop doing that because mm-hmm. you know we often complain if there's not a good set of monitors around and and I've I've said before well I can mix in headphones it's not a big deal but I think we forget that there's that other effect of <laughs> this right. is helpful for the DJ to feel like they're in the room mm-hmm. and right. Not in their headphones. Not in their headphones, and they're not going to, you know, blast the volume where they can't properly hear. It tricks you. If you're used to having, you know, subs on each side and a high top on each side, and then you go to listen to just a power monitor that's just has a high top and you're not feeling it, it's like, oh, wait a minute. You know, this doesn't sound like I... I feel like it should sound. Yeah, I really kind of tricks you. Yeah, it kind of it it, it tricks you a little bit. So having a good monitor system. We'll help you with yeah. that. Yeah, the first time I ever had that Jedi mind trick played on me, it was kind of I kind of giggled about it a little bit because the engineer had our monitor so, turned up so loud. I was like, "Good God, it's loud out there!" And then as soon as I got off the tables, I was like, "What the hell?" <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's not that loud out here. And I was right. like, "Ah, that's pretty smart though." But I'm not one to touch, you know, to to adjust my intensity because I'm very sensitive to other people's equipment. You know, mm-hmm. I'm just. It's just how I am. I, I don't like to impose on other people. I don't want to damage other people's equipment. But there were other DJs that were there that just wanted to crank it up, and it's all distorted and just sounds like garbage. You know, yeah. mm-hmm. loud and, is not always good. No. And if you have the opportunity, it does help to be able to talk to your front of house sound person or the stage manager, whoever. See what's expected you know, of you and ha- what, what do you want me to give you? Exactly. When you're yeah. when you're on those big stages, a lot of the guys that I opened up for when those tours are in and they have their own sound techs and their own front of house guys and they will limit you. They don't turn you up and you, you're, you're on that stage and you're still hearing some of the crowd talking, (laughs) you know, it's, it's so low because they want, 
when those big guys come out, they want to crank that system up, you know, so you just constantly keep trying to turn it up and get louder and it just, it's not going to happen. So again, like you said, you're just going to send a distorted signal. It's really hard to not like when you're in that kind of situation to not want to crank it up. You feel like it's not loud enough. You feel like that crowd is not feeling what you're doing. Yeah. You know, and it it takes some restraint. Right. Absolutely. It does. Uh, here's one. Be prepared to play some empty rooms. <laughs> uh, very few people have said, I'm going to be a DJ, and then overnight they're playing a bunch of packed rooms. Right, it right. just I, I'm sure it has happened, and maybe some of you guys can send in your stories. If that has happened to you, we'd love to hear them. But that's, Zach Efron. That is, <laughs> <laughs> but that is the, uh, the exception, not the norm. Right, right. So um, don't let it discourage you, I guess, is, well, it's, is it's, where I'm going with it's that. It's part of the process. Yeah. I mean, like, it, I mean, nobody is an overnight success. Even the overnight successes are not overnight successes. Yeah. Everybody has, you know, some failure along the way, and, and playing an empty room is not a failure. That is part of the game. Like, that, that uh, you know, while that may be an ego hit, or it may be boring, or it may be any number of things that have a negative connotation to it, but those are all things that you should experience. You know, even even me being 20 years into this, you know, just about, um, you know, I still occasionally hit an empty room or a damn near empty mm-hmm. room. And, you know... Would I prefer to do that? No, of course not. Nobody wants to play an empty room, but it still, uh, it, it still reminds you that you know what. Sometimes this is part of it. Yeah, and I think you need to utilize that as an opportunity to maybe step outside that comfort zone and maybe I'll try something this time right. since there's nobody here to walk out. Maybe mm-hmm. I'll try and work on my scratches, right. or maybe I'll try and work on my EQing, or maybe yeah. I'll like step outside well, of my crate and maybe let's try some of this stuff that I've been wanting to see. I think exactly it's, what I was going to say. A lot of times I'll use gigs like that as an opportunity to say, um, what's the sound like on a thunderous club system or something? Right. Or <laughs> you know what? Just, okay, fine. Nobody's here or the people that are here just really aren't feeling this. So I'm going to do something for me yeah. I, and I'll play total, you know, heady sets or, you know, go real deep into something. And, you know, and, you know, by the time it's all done, okay, at least I had fun with whatever I did. Yeah. And then, you know, I on. don't think that it's necessarily that they're not feeling it. I th- it's inevitable that we're going to play to empty rooms and it's all due to the smoking ban. Because uh, in some areas, I absolutely in, in a lot of areas, because you can you can start off and you can keep them for 20, 30 minutes, and then all the smokers want to go outside and, right. and, and smoke. And, and, and I think and, David's even brought this up before where, you know what, it's not like there, it's not like, you know, a community swimming pool where it's like, here's 45 minutes for the kids and okay, 15 minutes for the adults only. You know, it's not like, you know, all <laughs> the smokers go, yeah. you know, at, you they know, go when they go. yeah, okay, it is designated smoking time. Everybody mm-hmm. goes outside. Everybody comes back in. It, it, now, it's a, one or two people go out, and then the next people go out, and then they get into a conversation, and then they don't start and stop smoking at the same time. So right. it starts the, right. the process, and they next just thing you know, out there. an entire like smoking patio is completely full, and the and the club is empty. And you don't mm-hmm. want to ditch somebody who's still halfway through a cigarette, and so or and then, a story, you know, because yeah, it's a, a very story. social thing, yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah, for those outside the U.S., I'd say within the past ten years, there's been a big push. To not uh, allow smoking in public areas, or at least within inside like of enclosed feet, buildings, inside of enclosed yeah, buildings, which a, a lot of our listeners outside of the U.S. probably already dealt with this before. Mm-hmm. You know, we're probably late to the game on that. But so, so uh, especially at one of the static shows that the guys here play in, uh, that was a phenomenon I noticed the very ter- first time I went to it. Is that there was like this cyclic movement of people, and I wasn't quite sure what was going on because you know I don't smoke. So I didn't really think about it. But once I pieced it together, I was like, oh, okay, this is why people are going in and out and in and out. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, the other side of it is all that being said, you're a new DJ. You don't have thousands of hardcore followers and you're just you're going to have to play some empty rooms Mm -hmm. until you figure out how to get some warm bodies in there. And that's it's just the way it goes. And it's it's easy for DJs to get uh, to get discouraged when that happens. And uh it's just part of the game. That's just how it goes. Amen to that. Yeah, um, be, yeah, be resilient in your journey to becoming that DJ that fills that room. Because it, it's you're going to have to... 
you know, in the U.S., I use a sports analogy. You got to play JV before you play varsity. Mm-hmm. You know, someone has to see you, and you have to earn your your ability to get in those larger rooms at the better times, at the better locations. And just like the sports analogy, some people get fast tracked, and others, you know, have right. to work a little what bit I, harder. What in I the think minor is leagues. really really <laughs> cool is that there are venues and clubs now giving those people opportunity instead of keeping them as a bedroom DJ until they can find a residency. Cause back, back in the day there mm-hmm. were only, you know, a handful of clubs that were all top 40 clubs. And, you know, even the raves, we didn't book or the clubs didn't book a bedroom DJ. You had to be a decent DJ and right. to get that residency and to get that spot. Now there's places that do the locals and give those kids the opportunity to get on stage and to practice and to play to empty rooms and or 10, 20, 30 people. And right. that's cool that there are places out there now that actually do those kind of things yeah. to give and, them the opportunity. Yeah. And that's where you kind of you, you get your wings too. Yeah. Like you, I mean, playing to 10 buddies in an otherwise empty club might not be super exciting for you, but it does teach you how to go to the club, mm-hmm. set up, deal with a sound person. You know, what What did I forget that I didn't even think about until I got up here on stage? Right. It gets you used to that whole process and even trying to get those 10 people interested in what you're doing. And that's, I mean, you learn a lot by playing really empty it, rooms. Uh, <laughs> Three-dimensional. That's where, you know, John Chapel, he does the EDM Tuesdays. And, you know, I'll go out, on any given Tuesday and there will be, you know, four or five DJs that I've never heard before. Mm -hmm. Um, Tangle Branches, you had them out, you know, that gives me the opportunity to go out and to listen. And if, you know, I think that they're doing a good job, you know, we may have them on as a room opener or slowly integrate them into a three dimensional show. That's another good point. Like if there's only a couple people in the room, you don't know who those, you don't know who they are, but (laughs) you don't know who's watching batting practice. There's a good, yeah. And there's a good chance that they're somebody you might want to uh, impress or show what you can do because they're one of the few people that did show up for some reason. Right. Why is that? Right. You know, maybe. And so it's, it's kind of like the, the talent scout <laughs> thing, you know, it's, um, I've, I've, I've had gigs that have, um, materialized for me because of that, because I was playing to a pretty much empty room and, but they but liked you, what I was doing. It. And I, yeah, I just owned it and did it anyways. And one person walked up to me like, I want to book you for my, you know, this other show I'm doing next month. And so it, you know, you never know how that's going to start a, right. a snowball effect for sure. Right. Um, and you know, the other thing is just have fun with it. You know, it's, is that's it why fun? you're getting into it in the first place, right? I mean, mm-hmm. nobody's, you know, taking on <laughs> DJing because I'm going to spend all this money and all this time away <laughs> to be disappointed and sad. <laughs> right. Exactly. That is my goal. Like right. I have fun sitting in a room at my house with nobody around mixing. Yep. So, this is the same as that, just the room's bigger. Right. So, you know, right. enjoy it and make what you can out of it, and that's it's fine. Yep. Yeah. Um, we kind of brought this one up a little bit earlier. Be comfortable mixing in headphones or with substandard or poorly placed monitors. Right, right. Um, so we brought in, you know, that's bringing in good monitors is kind of a trick, you know, especially if you're in charge of the stage to keep the DJs from, you know, going too crazy. But right. It's also important to get used to playing playing in situations where monitoring is not ideal because you will run into that more than you want to. <laughs> Amen to that because I'll tell you flat out, I have been uh, uncomfortable in monitoring situations more in in you know 18, 20 years than I have been comfortable. Mm-hmm. And it's because I'm left. Uh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a left. Oh, so. Yep. Um, because of that, you know, most people are right-handed, therefore being right-eared. So when they, you know, when monitors are put up for 90, however percent, uh, DJs, the monitor is nine times out of 10 on the right. If there's one monitor, sometimes I get lucky and there's two, (laughs) um, but you know, very rarely. And, and and it's not to say that, you know, one ear is more proficient than the other, right, right, right. There is like I I monitor out of my right ear all the time and I'm right handed and that might be circumstantial. But I think for me, it has a lot to do with 
my right hand grabs the right cup and it moves it off the ear and it sits comfortably that way and that's what I've gotten used to. Right, right, right. You know, and it's, if I can do it the other way around, but I, yeah, I've had monitors on the left before and it just feels weird to me. <laughs> so it's it's <laughs> yeah. funny how used to that and you don't realize that you're right. doing it and, right. and forming this habit, you yeah. know, but you really do. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, I got lucky in that early on, I forced myself, like, I want to mix in headphones. I mean, sometimes I wouldn't even have right. any outgoing sound from whatever I was doing, you know, practicing at home. Yep. Yep. I would only mix in the headphones. headphones. So yep. I would listen to the master out, and then I would turn that down, and then I would cue, and then I would blend it with a little with the master sound. And I got used to doing it that way, and I actually... I still mix that way even when I have the opportunity because it, it feels very precise to me. Right. To do it that way because I feel like I have no latency. Yeah, there's no latency, no delay issue. from between you and and a monitor and or you know in, in a substandard you know monitoring environment, you know uh, you know then there's not that delay from yeah. the main sound, which you know is completely unreliable from any type of mixing. Yeah. Yes. And so, so then, like taking the cup off and listening for me is more. Uh, I want to hear what the big sound sounds like right. and. Is what's going out to the house really what I think it is? And st- mm-hmm. but it's not like beat matching. Right. I do that in headphones, and not everybody does, and a lot of people hate doing it that way. But. Yeah, I mean, I'm not I'm not a big fan of it, but yeah. out of necessity, like I said, if there's not a monitor on the left side, a lot of times I will have to do that. Yeah. Or what? I'll, another thing that I'll try is I'll take like the the cup of you know the left side of my headphones and just like lay it just slightly on the edge of my ear a little bit off yeah that way you know and then you know you can for some mixers you can you know do split Mm -hmm. and you know then that way i can put what i you know what should be the house i even get tricked in mask system i mean they have function one right monitoring system subwoofer inside the booth the monitors are actually up above in your face, and I still get. I mean, yeah. it gets so loud in there; it, it tricks you. So it there's does. times where you can you can use the monitors, but there's times where you have to, you know, go on off with yep. one head because yeah. it gets tricky, man. When it starts to get that loud and your ears start to get damaged, <laughs> it gets tricky because you feel like you're falling off. <laughs> Definitely. So yep. for those of you new to the DJ space, what we're talking about with monitors, it's a speaker just for the DJ. So that he can hear or she can hear everything that is going out to the floor. The reason why you want to do that is because once the main sound goes out into the crowd, the way the sound interacts will create echoes. And the sound that you would hear coming back without a monitor next to you is going to be off time. It's going to be distorted. So you won't get a true sense of what the audience is hearing. It's real time. Yeah, that's a good point. So if anybody's performed in a band or done public speaking or you know sang for their church or anything like that they kind of understand this this concept too there's you know you don't think that there's a big difference you know in a big room in that delay but there really is and but when it, you're talking about a dj situation where you have to be very precise and on beat a, that even if it's a couple milliseconds it's yeah. still it, it still yeah. makes a huge difference yeah. yeah yeah and depending on how the room's shaped how high the ceilings are how the ceilings are angled uh, what type of speakers you're using, how high they are off the ground. I mean, there's multiple things that can have an impact on the return sound that comes to you from the main mm-hmm. sound. Yeah, don't so, try to beat match off the house yeah, sound. You right. will not have a good time. So, yeah. <laughs> so If you ha- pizza when you french fry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so just having a monitor gives you a better sense of security in terms of what's being actually output to the crowd. And sometimes you're in a situation where you either have, like Strip said, either a bad monitor or no monitors at all. So, you know, if even if you have the ability to go buy a $50 speaker from, you know, the music store, just to kind of use that to coach yourself to either have a monitor behind you or on your non-dominant side. Um, I, I think I read that on DJ Tech Tools or something saying, you know, things to do, like, to practice and that was one of them was like just move your monitor move it i never even thought about trying yeah that. there's definitely sweet spots yeah definitely well i know like um so my home setup i've got a pair of qsc tops at home that i play on and oh, oh, oh. which are very nice <laughs> but they're not connected to a sub or anything and they i mean they do pretty good mm-hmm. but um i i forget that i've gotten so used to mixing in headphones like that 
Mm-hmm. So like even like when Tony comes over, or when friends come over, I'll usually take that monitor out and move it directly next to the DJ because I kind of have them set far back. They kind of double as my my quote unquote house that sound. sound right. Um, when I have friends come over to play, I'll move it right next to their face just so they, so it's right there, <laughs> no latency. They can make it as loud or quiet as they want, but, um, cause it's, yeah, I mean, you get so used to, like you said, there's a sweet spot and everybody, why you don't want latency? <laughs> everybody's sweet spot for that is a little different. Right. I think. Yeah, right. And, and like for me with my events, like the, the rooms are so big and yeah. the ceilings are usually so high that I just take like a little, I think like a hundred dollar monitor I bought from guitar center. You know, it's like a, it's just like a speaker monitor. Right. Yeah. And, but that does the trick because I don't really need to hear the bass. I just need to hear, you know, the hi hat. So right, because right, you're you're playing, you know, not in nightclubs, no. but like sporting events and with lots of bodies moving around, yeah, and lots, and lots of people of, moving, and lots of extra noises like a barbell crashing to the ground or people right. grunting and clapping and cheering. So and I you're just, not necessarily slamming out at full volume like we might no. at mask or something, or like the that. click right. of an S eight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Tony was complaining how noisy my crossfader was and scratching yesterday. <laughs> nice. And I put I put the headphones on and I can hear directly what was out there, not hearing the click, and it actually made a lot more. Yeah, you started crushing it. it. Better. I was yeah. like, oh nice. man, that really is messing you. <laughs> <laughs> Makes a difference for sure. I mean, right. just any distraction and any slight latency, any other noise that you hear, all that stuff can be a distraction when you're trying to line up beats and stuff. So right. yeah, good monitoring is. And especially when you're new, because. Yes. If all you've done is DJ in your in your bedroom, yeah. and all of a sudden you have five or ten people, yeah, and that can be a little unsettling. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I mean, I I remember my first like real gig at a club, and you know, I mean, it was one thing to play, you know, a, a frat house party or a basement, and you know, just little things like that where the house sound is Everything. what you I brought, sound, and yeah. I brought it close, and I put it in close enough to me so where I can hear it, yeah. but. You know, first time I stepped into a club booth and like, yeah, it, it, it's so different. It's jarring, you know? So yeah, after a few tracks, you kind of get into it and you, and you adjust, but yeah, especially when you're new, that, that, that can be a jarring experience. Uh, so one that Trip brought up was to to get to know as many different types of mixers as possible, yeah, so and I, that you can kind of competently play on on whatever. Yeah, and I and I realize that's that's easier said than done. A lot of people, sure. you know, may not have access to a bunch of equipment or don't know a bunch of DJs to kind of you know try and and play around with other stuff. But you know, the more get, that and and really that's something that eventually comes with time. But you know, just even you know, pulling up pictures of these things and, and, and manuals or, or even like YouTube tutorials on how to, on, or reviews of each mixer. You know, if you have a mixer and you know how it works, then, you know, as you see and kind of look at all of these others, you know, it's a lot different to read about something than to put your hands on it, but yeah. at least you don't go in flying totally blind. So yeah. like going back to, you know, contact a promoter, what am I playing on, you know, for your, for your party? And if it's a DJM 900 Nexus and you're on a Gemini BPM 250 from 1998, you know, those are going to be two very different, uh, experiences. But if you look up the functionality of a 900 Nexus and you start off with, this is what my, my mixer does. How do I do it on here? And just kind of, you know, lay it out and figure it out, then everything else, you know, is all fluff. And really to that point, I mean, it's easy to get caught in a situation where you're using an unfamiliar mixer and you, your DJing or your workflow depends on some function of your mixer at home that it doesn't support. Agreed. Like split cue right. or something like that. So it's not always that you just walk up and stare at the mixer and go, whoa, I don't know what I'm doing here. Right, you know, right. like it makes sense and it's laid out in a way that you recognize, but then you might be like, oh, I can't do split cue on here. Oh, mm-hmm. crap. Or I, you know. Yeah. that And that's really what I was getting at with that is, you know, what's the core functionality of a mixer for a DJ? And that's mixing signals together in a way that, you know, progresses, you know, one track to another or one sound to another. And at the very least, you should be able to figure out how to do that. And if you don't know, you know, when you get there, then, you know, nine times out of 10, either a sound engineer or, you know, um, or the DJ before you, you know, is, 
you know, most of us are, are pretty good about helping out the, the next generation, you know, like, oh, yeah, here's where you plug in your headphones. <laughs> you know, so. and, and, I, and I'm and I, and I will openly admit I've never used a CDJ, but I've watched plenty of YouTube videos and I've seen them and I've kind of like when I've had the opportunity, just kind of like kind of hover over them right. and take a look at it. So in the event one day, you know, I get called to the big show. You know, I'm not going to go in there and totally freak out. But like you just said, Trip, most mixers will perform the same function. You're going to have a crossfader. You're going to have volume faders. You're going to have maybe a filter, right. your EQ settings. You know, the, the the basic, it's a car. You know, a car is a car is a car. Right, right. You know, and for the most part, a mixer is a mixer is a mixer. So, But it's really scary to get up there and not know where master volume is. Right, you right. Know, True. Something like yeah. that, and which I, has happened to me before. You know, yeah. Someone's like, can you bring it down or turn it up and I'm staring at it for 30 seconds like an idiot like I can't believe you are I don't in the know dark how to do and it's this. really hard to yeah, see yeah it's dark anywhere. in there like, mm-hmm. right so yeah it's it, it can be scary and then that might be enough to just rattle you a little bit and then it messes your whole thing yep. up yep. you know and, and that's for that. some of us that's all it takes yeah, and then right, you do that right. fifth shot and then you do that fifth <laughs> shot right and then it's all downhill from there <laughs> um gig quality over gig quantity mm. That's a hard one. Um, it is. That's a really hard one. Uh, especially as a beginner, it's really easy to want to take any gig that's thrown at you. Yep. Not that a lot of beginner DJs have, you know, infinite amounts of gigs to choose from, but right. some do find themselves in that situation where people are like, hey, play here, hey, play this, do this, do this. If that happens, so that's where what Trip was just talking about, um, preparing for your gig, knowing what you're walking into, what they have, what they don't have, yes. what you're going to need to bring. It's okay to be choosy. Right. You know, you don't have to take on every single thing. It might not fit your sound. It might not fit your brand. You might not even have a brand yet, but you know what I mean? Right. It might not just be well, ideal. Well, it might for you. not even help your reputation. It, yes. You know, when I was, when I was early on, you know, I, I was in exactly that position. Like I was excited to be a DJ. I was getting paid to DJ and, you know, and all of that stuff. So, you know, I had a set price and, you know, everybody that was booking me was paying it. But then I quickly learned, especially in the Midwest rave scene, that there were cliques and there were, uh, you know, there were politics involved in between the crews. And, you know, know, you might be playing for this crew over here that's selling drugs to fund their parties or whatever. And now all of a sudden you are associated with that Mm -hmm. reputation. But like, really? No, no. I was just taking a booking like I, I barely know these people, you know. Yeah, quality but, can mean a lot of different things here. Right, so it's right. important to right. kind of nail that down because, like, I don't, I don't necessarily mean uh, gigs where you have a full room versus empty room sure, or sure. something like that. Yeah. It's, um, so, for example, one of my when I was really early on, you know, getting my footing as a DJ, somebody gave me the opportunity to play at a club here in Dayton called Hammerjacks, mm-hmm. um, which is now defunct, but at the time was. Uh, pretty well known it was pretty hopping back then uh, lots of college age people in there and so it was kind of a cool opportunity for me and so i i went ahead and agreed to take it on he was like i'll give you an early set you can do whatever you want and i was like cool well this was like a hip-hop club right right and that's not what i played and so i showed up i started playing like house music and it was 9 or 10 p.m. It wasn't like the place was packed out yet, but right. there were people in there, and the few people that were in there that were used to having hip-hop all night long, right. immediately, I yeah. mean, it just, what is this crap? What are you playing? Can you play some whatever, Lil Wayne or whatever it right. was? Right, And so I started, like, I had a few tracks that were, like, hip house you know what i mean it was like there was uh, a house beat but then had some like missy elliott rapping over it yeah, and stuff and i was uh, yeah, yeah i pulled it together yeah. but it, it was not what i do it wasn't fun for me or the crowd it right. was and so i i said okay learning experience like right. just because i have the opportunity to play somewhere doesn't mean i necessarily should, should. because right. n- nobody got anything out of it yeah know? and when you take i had a similar experience where i was told the gig was going to be like a 90s pajama party type thing Mm. um so my crate that i built for that was like 90s dance tracks and stuff like that well it turns out that these group of individuals wanted to hear nothing but freaking bad boy all damn night Mm. so i had to shift gears real quick because like i'm playing my 90s stuff and they're like why aren't you playing this why aren't you playing that and and this goes back to the point 
make sure you're talking to the right person right. when you're getting the description of the event because the guy that described the event to me was another DJ that was playing the event, not the actual person that was hosting the event. So there was ex- different. There was a difference in expectations there. Right. So me trying to make, be cool about it, you know, even though I'm having people literally yell at me, you know, I, again, I, it's the reputation thing. You know, I have to be professional. Because, Why you don't play Mace? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, so I'm trying to maintain my professionalism. In like, world, y'all. You know, <laughs> take that, take that, take that. Take that, take that. <laughs> Shiny suit me. <laughs> you know, trying to maintain my professionalism as a, as an artist or whatever you want to call a DJ. Right while still trying not to punch this guy in the throat who's all up in the booth yelling at me while I'm trying to do my craft. That's a good point, too, like learning who to listen to for feedback. Like just because somebody tells you something or makes a request or makes a suggestion, like you have to keep your ego in check, but it's also important to realize that you're never going to please everyone. No. So just because one person wants you to change it up and play hip-hop doesn't mean that's what the other 100 people want you to do or the venue owner. Yeah, yeah, but that was, in that one particular, like I was told the wrong information by the other DJ when I, you know, looking back on it now, and we've talked about that, making sure you talk to the right person, that you're getting the correct information because I was... Thoroughly irritated, right. and you know, as soon as I was pretty much done, I, I packed my gear and I bounced because I was I was so upset. You know, yeah. it just wasn't the right place for me to be after all that. So, right. not to get off on a uh, tangent about piracy, but please, please don't play YouTube rips and like 128 kilobit SoundCloud downloads right. and like the stuff that you might think you get away with at home does not translate well to big sound. Right. And, why, and why is that? Well, people... That's, that's what people don't understand. Right, exactly. And and people will fight this. I mean... I defer the, to our audio engineer. To yeah, the, people will <laughs> fight this until they are blue in the face. And it, and it really just amplifies that some people really do not understand um, both either audio and or compression rates and, and, and computer file sizes. So um, to try to keep it as concise as possible, uh, the analogy that I have developed is this. Imagine that you have a domestic American shit beer in a can and you pour it in. You mean all American beer? <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> And imagine you pour that into an eight ounce red solo cup. Okay. So here you have a a red solo cup. It's got a bunch of cheap beer in it, right? So then if you have a 32 ounce, really ornate, nice German Stein, and you've got it chilled, and then you open that sucker up and you pour that beer into it. It doesn't automatically become 32 ounces of like some pristine German like <laughs> top shelf draft, you know? What? No, it doesn't work like that. So to co- to kind of bring that into context, when you are ripping from YouTube, the source files are not 320. They're not even lossless. It does not make sense for YouTube or anybody to store uh, audio f- clips or files at that rate because they are so large and it costs more for them to stream that, to store it and or allow downloads from it. And makes it harder for people to play on limited bandwidth, which is still a thing. Exactly. So when you are pulling from YouTube using one of those online rippers or, Mm -hmm. you know, the downloaded rippers, whatever you're using, what you are most likely getting is a 128 or less quality audio file. Now, what these rippers do is they trick you into thinking that you are getting some pristine 320 320, MP3, but really what they're doing is they're taking that 128 and putting it into a 320 file. You're not... You don't gain data doing that. Exactly. Once audio is degraded in a digital file, there's no recovering it. There's no recovery. And it's worse than that because what actually happens, you know, way back is whoever uploads it to a particular channel, they're starting with whatever they're starting with. So let's assume that they're doing pretty good starting with a 320 kilobit MP3, which is already compressed. Right. Mm -hmm. Then they upload it to YouTube. Who also... They compress it (laughs) again for 
they compress it for volume and for file size That's so right. that they can stream it. Yep. So then you download it and then those services re-encode it again as something else. So this is this is like going to a Xerox machine and making a copy of a, of copy, a copy of a copy. Of a copy. And, then Aven- to, and then trying to zoom it up. Yeah, right. it's like you end up with with garbage eventually. Right. It's the. It, I mean, that's a that's another great analogy. It's the same thing as pixelation yeah. when you're dealing Cameras, with. Right. Yeah, when you're dealing with uh, zooming in, it, there's only so much resolution that will allow for a clear image. Yeah, and you can convert a JPEG into something, you know, a raw image or something, and and make it take up 50 megabytes, but that doesn't mean it's any better of an image. It just right. means you're wasting space now. That's right. And what happens is, is so like because of that, of that that uh, those multiple levels of compression, that, and copying of a copy and all of that that happens, and really. It's. I don't have proof of this, but I I have a sneaking suspicion that um, even those programs do some intentional EQ roll off, mm. because when uh, Tony and I, through working at Day- Dayton Studios, we have uh, rappers and vocalists that come in all the time with these YouTube rips, and when you put it under a spectral analyzer, everything above fifteen thousand hertz is rolled off, and the and the low end is always muddy as shit. I think that's a, a product of the compression algorithm because sure they start with the super high and super low, right, and right. then they start whatever's expendable roll it to in. the human uh, the human human hearing, hearing yeah, spectrum. spectrum. Yeah, yeah. yeah I've noticed that with Spotify too because I so I'm a premium subscriber, so I can use it on my phone right. and I listen to it in the car. And yeah, you know, I've got a couple twelves in the trunk still. You know, sure, so sure. I bang it out in there every now and then. Right. And when I play something that's like. So there's different settings like normal quality, high quality, and extreme or something like that. I can tell when it's not playing extreme quality, you know, whether I've turned that off or whatever. The the low end is not there. You know, the the trunk doesn't thump nearly as hard as when it's on the extreme. Yeah, so I think that's that's part of it is it starts with that data that that spectrum that most people aren't going to be using anyway because not everybody has a big you know (laughs) thing in their trunk that they're exactly so what 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 ends up happening in our you know in in the dj world is so the people who are you know pirating all of their stuff off of youtube you're truly playing substandard uh audio quality files and you know people will argue that till they're blue in the face but at the end of the day just because you don't believe it doesn't make it not true. And we could, you know, take, I don't care who it is. You, you can, you can send in your file and I will find a lossless or a 320, a true 320 source of that audio. And we can show you spectral analysis of the difference between the two. And when you put that on 50,000 Watts or more, hell, if you put it on 10,000 Watts, you can tell the difference because, you know, those, those, damage those pieces of damaged audio that's in that signal may not sound all that bad to you uh because one you're used to it or two you're not playing it on a system like that and over time what ends up happening is ear fatigue Mm -hmm. to yourself and your crowd long before it would happen if you had some you know some quality 320 or lossless uh files so what you're talking about is it like enveloping or the square wave where it cuts off the, the peaks oh clipping yeah so um that's that's usually when you drive a signal too hard too, hard. Yeah. Right. too hot right. right yeah over compressed or over limited that, yeah. that brings us back to yeah. the red line red <laughs> but then using yeah. some of these files though can cause i mean in the wrong situations can damage equipment oh yeah i mean it, it yeah it, so like if you're already working with a distorted or or lower quality audio file and then you push that oh yeah your 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 distortion uh yeah. ratio is going to be yeah. a lot higher and, and so this even goes back to a bigger point of just just being responsible you know and being professional and but by not utilizing these sources on someone else's system right and, you know, and me up on my soapbox for just 0.2 seconds, but as an artist who writes my own music and uh, and being on a label that supports me as an artist, you know, uh, piracy sucks. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. I don't make any decent amount of money off of off of my tracks, but what I do make, you know, is mine and it's, you know, 
and anytime that anybody gets their stuff pirated, that's money that ultimately comes out of out of the artists. Even if we're talking about fractions of cents, you know, it's still money that does ultimately come out of the artist. Now, if you if you're one of those people that hey, I steal music, but I buy their merch or, you know, whatever. And yeah, that's great that you support artists in some way. But, um, you know, ultimately, you know, it just supporting the the not just the artist, but the label that supports the artists that you like is is better, in my opinion. Um, also speaking to uh, where you talked about comparing compressed and uncompressed files, if uh, our listeners want to scroll all the way back to episode 14, um, back when I was still doing this solo, <laughs> there was a show I did called uh, All About Sound Quality. Uh, and I actually play some clips where I've taken original sound sources versus compressed ones uh, and invert them so that you can hear the difference. So you can cool. hear what was taken out of right. the original file. So that kind of helps demonstrate too. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of a cool episode. It'd be a good one to go back and revisit. Yeah, no doubt. Hey, what's up guys? Trip here. Uh, as you can tell, me and the guys have been getting into some discussions that have really uh, started pushing the envelope of our self-imposed time limits. Uh, we generally like to keep things right about 45 minutes to you know an hour. Uh, sometimes we go a little over, sometimes we're a little under, but this conversation in particular went for well over an hour and a half. So uh, wanted to break this one up similarly to how we did the DJ duos uh, a couple episodes back. We'll pick this one up again next week, and we hope that you're getting a lot of good tips if you're a new DJ, and hopefully this is all just refresher material if you're a veteran DJ, and look forward to hearing from you guys in the comments and uh, voicemails, and we'll catch up with you next week. Thanks for listening to the Passionate DJ Podcast at www.passionatedj.com. Check out the fan page at facebook.com slash passionatedj or on Twitter at DJ with Passion. And always remember to keep on spinning. I feel like I, I feel like oh, I should put oh. on like lowrider right now. <laughs> lowrider Donnie. Donnie. Lowrider. <laughs> <laughs>